This is I Don't Get It, the pop culture get-off-my-lawn cast, featuring the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons soon enough. Are, are we Are we at mid-40s well, yet? Really, Bill? Well, yeah, we're, we're going to be 44, uh, so that, that puts us yeah. right there. Yeah. Fuck! I, we okay. are, however old we are, we are staring yeah. down the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. Oh boy, are we. I am your co-host, Bill Scurry of American Caesar Enterprises, and I'm joined by this other guy. I am your co-host, Noah Tarno, of the Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show spectacular. And Bill, I will say today's topic made me feel especially entertainmently irrelevant. Tell us what it is, please. That's a good point, yeah. Uh, yeah. Today we were talking about Baby Shark. Did it, wait, no, <laughs> no that's... Wait, I got to check my notes here. No. Although a few, a few people suggested we do that, but I feel like that's that time has already passed, right? That was like February 19, one and done. <laughs> kind of that was the February 5th thing, exactly. No, this is even better. We are talking about Desus and Mero. Desus and Mero. Desus and Mero. Uh, Desus Which and Mero. I had never heard of. Ama- amazing, amazing, about right? About four days ago. That's crazy. So that makes me feel entertainmently wrong. I've literally never heard of these. Because I think a few people suggested this. I know more recently, a uh, guest of the show, Nick Nadell, put this up. And uh, yeah, this is a good call. I don't know if anybody else knows who these guys are, but they are a comedy duo currently located on the Showtime television network, the pay cable, late night dealy. And, and they are in a program of the same name, Desus and Marrow. It's like Jesus, right? Desus. Desus, right? yeah, Desus and Marrow. Desus and And I think okay. this is the third iteration. It's like this is. We're talking about the team, but we're also, we're using the the current iteration, the Showtime show, as a way into talking about the team. Their collaboration has had the name Deezus and Mero for probably about, I don't know. Well, their podcast only started in 2015, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right. Their show, which is currently on Showtime, as I mentioned, was formerly located on two other homes, Viceland and Complex. And I believe, I don't know, Viceland is a... a, Oh, no, I'm way wrong. Way wrong. They started on Complex in 2013. So I, okay. yeah, keep going. I'll, I'm, I'm going to read a little. Keep going. Okay. Sure. They are formally known, their Christian names, as it were, are Daniel Baker, that's Jesus, and Joel Martinez, that's Marrow or Kid Marrow. And uh, they are two comic slash uh, writers, I guess you'd say, cultural, cultural commentators. I, I kind of struggle a little bit for like what to actually call them, but I guess they're, you know, ombudsmen. Yeah, they're they're comedians. They're smart asses. They're hosts. They're they're showmen. You know, they are the modern version of show business. They're they're sort of these all in one guys that yeah. like eighty years ago you'd sing and dance and act, and now it's you you comment on the news and you do sketches and yeah. you know it's it shows you how different the entertainment ecosystem is on a larger scale. They're definitely charisma based personalities for sure. Yeah. They bopped around a number of different cultural venues, and uh, among which you had MTV. They were on a couple of those. Um, yeah, I guess reality shows like joking off and yeah they had a deal with mtv and as part of an mtv would just sort of happen guest star on you know appears talking heads on various shows mm-hmm. but it kind of looks to me like mtv didn't know what to do with it. i'm gonna enter i'm gonna cut you off dude because i feel like you skipped a very important part these guys are from the bronx they met in high school so they started as just like friends joking around mm-hmm. and then they were doing a podcast just their own thing yeah and i was gonna get bodega on. boys is what it was called yeah. bodega boys and uh and this is important, too. They're both, I think, first-generation Americans. Uh, Desus is Jamaican-American, and Mero is Dominican. So that, you know, heavily informs their perspective and their comedy and their 
cultural milieu and go ahead continue i'm yeah I'm, no i mean I'm that's that's you. that's it i just want to emphasize yeah. the fact that the bronx plays really yeah. large and the thing is the jamaican part of Jesus's background comes up a lot he uses that a lot you know he plays a lot on jamaican stereotypes but it's loving i mean it's a really friendly fun loving you know but also for comedy you know the fact that jamaican people have the accent and they, they work hard and and you know the parent the, the parenting <laughs> can be strict things it's like always that. it's always it's funny because he did one of the things we watched he did the joke that uh hey he's only 11 years old he uh, only has two jobs and i remember watching like i think in living color yeah, a thousand yep. years ago and they were jamaican characters and the running joke was like each one had like seven jobs and i remember watching it like oh i didn't know that was a stereotype of jamaican people so I've, always, <laughs> true, yes. I've always thought like that's the jamaican stereotype you have 12 jobs and of course they and here we are like 20 years later and that's still the stereotype <laughs> that's awesome which that's i guess awesome. there are worse quote-unquote negative stereotypes to have of people than that they have 12 jobs well I, you can also make the case that like reefer it, like plays yeah big. Uh, yeah, it does. But but these guys are very proud weed smokers. That's what I'm saying. Them, but it, so. it, it appears a lot as a motif, the right. fact that these guys smoke, you know, whatever the law may be, they are fully committed to the lifestyle. And it's just, you know, part of their component. You know, not that they're the first ones to do this, but frequently with their interviews with people they talk to, whether, you know, like the, the sort of special guest stars frequently gets to talk about weed, you know. I, I also think we need to describe the show a little more. So, you know, their podcast was a little more wide ranging. They just blab, blab, blab the way a lot of podcast people do. But the Showtime show, we were talking before we were recording that it's only a half hour, so that's nice. It's just the two of them talking, riffing on current events. You know, everything from really important stuff like the Mueller report to just dumb shit they see on the internet, like or like an infomercial, like how to make eggs. It's like Tosh 2.0 style. Yeah, yeah, but but not nearly as mean No, 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 no. Uh, and then they have guest segments. Their first Showtime episode, they had Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez on. Uh, one of the ones we watched, they, they went down to Newark and they were playing basketball and eating chicken with Cory Booker. And then they do almost like SNL-type sketch parodies, yeah. which, are, which is where we saw the Jamaican thing. They did Stranger Things, <laughs> Jamaican parody of Stranger Things, which yeah. sounds stupid, but was, you know, it, it was quick. I mean, it yeah. wasn't SNL. SNL link, and it was pretty funny. Let's get into the meat of our episode, Bill. No, what'd you think yeah. of this property? Well, I think we've already tipped our hand here that we both liked it quite a bit. I thought it was really funny. Uh, I like these guys. They seem very real, but they're very funny. Uh, I think the two of them together have tremendous chemistry. Again, for my very, very, I am Jewish, but from my very white point of view, they strike this really excellent balance between you know, the the Bronx and the street and hip hop culture. And clearly they're very educated, thoughtful guys. Like they'll talk about all this, a lot of stuff that I feel like, you know, we, we both went into this thinking they were like these hot 97 guys and all they talk about was freaking the Knicks and, and Beyonce, which I just find not that there's anything inherently wrong with those topics, but like they're just cliche at this point for two young black guys to talk about. They're very, the references are really clever. There was a gimmick on their podcast where Jesus would just go through all his pseudonyms. <laughs> He's got a whole bunch of pseudonyms. And just some of them are really funny. He's Boutros, Boutros, Gully. And apparently he came off with these off the top of his head. Mikael, Going Off, Stanley Cups, <laughs> Leonardo DiTrapio. And, and this is, I guess, what hip-hop DJs do a lot. And then yeah. this is my favorite. The human Dr. Bronner's label. Dilute, dilute, dilute. <laughs> and they're, t they're making fun of Taylor Swift for her supposedly uh, ripping off a Beyonce performance. She had a marching band. And one of them says, like, I didn't realize the University of Phoenix has a marching band. Um, I feel like there's stuff here for the guys from the Bronx and the women from the Bronx 
who are inundated with hip hop culture. And then there's stuff like you and me, for me, you and me, where they just go into this deep stuff. They're just, they're so, they strike this balance between like worldly and educated and smart and thoughtful and just like the pot smoking guys in the Bronx. And they're funny and they're approachable and likable. They do have moments where I think they're a little self aggrandizing. I realize that's a hallmark of hip-hop culture but we'll get into that later with the jealousy thing like in one interview people are like oh you're such good interviewers I'm like well our secret of interviewing is you don't prepare you know you're a sucker if you prepare just you shouldn't know anything and i'm like well that's easy for you to say because you're more talented than most people not everyone has the luxury of not being able to prepare that's just the way it goes yeah i just think these guys are great they go all over the place they get in and out quickly i feel like there's something for everyone they don't pull their punches, you know. They they one episode they were they were calling Tucker Carlson on his bullshit, you know. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a big deal. Yeah, they're definitely liberal without being stridently so. So they they keep it funny, and I, I think these guys are terrific. They're self-deprecating when they need to be. I hope they grow a little. Uh, as funny as it is, it, it still seems a little simplistic. Uh, yeah, thumbs up to this. What about you? Yeah, I absolutely love this the most of any topic we've covered. I See, I don't go. I don't go that far. So no, I'm, it's, it's I'm okay, surprised by that. But okay. my, my favorite topics thus far have been Death Note, the uh, the manga yeah. anime. Key and Peele was the other one, and I, right. this to me maybe it was just the the state I was in when I saw this. I watched a couple episodes of the Showtime show. Man, I was almost like like choking with laughter the entire time. I just felt yeah. like I I the, did LOL a few times. Yes. I think the mixture of I mean everything you said. I think I I honestly can't. I'm not going to repeat anything you said because it's it's a perfect statement of my opinion. It's the fusion and the fusion of their thing which started out in you know they do podcasts and it's probably loose and a little rambunctious and a little disorganized but to, to your point about them growing I believe that they are every single time they've stepped yeah. up into another platform it's become yes. a lot more refined and that is partially them I'm sure and also the right protosorial hand saying this is what you do with these guys you switch it up a lot, you know, you, you use the best parts of it, you edit edit it down, and the writing staff, I mean, not that I, I recognize one name on the writing staff, there's this guy, Josh Gondelman. Yes, I've met I've met Josh Gondelman, and I, mean, yeah. I don't know him well, but I've met him, and he, he I know he wrote for John Oliver for a while, Yeah, so yeah. He's, he's a real pro. Gondelman, I think, is a 34-year-old guy, um, you know, he's standard Jewish guy from, from Boston area, that's pretty much everyone in comedy. Well, no, I would imagine he might be a minority in that writing crew. Well, in you that know, I, I imagine, yes. the, I hope the writing crew for Jesus and Marrow, you know, is it looks at it least looks, half it looks people like, of color. I would. It looks like it's half so. people of color and, and yeah, half white. I think, which is which is a big <laughs> step because it's like well, you know yeah. the writing room of like John Stewart was just all these Jewish guys who went to Yale and yes. Harvard and Princeton. I, yeah. I once knew the sole woman on the John. I, at one point, the Daily Show writing staff consisted of one woman who yeah. was an ex of mine. So there you go. Uh, the writers' rooms of TV comedies tend to still be the same. Yeah. Um, you know, thirty-two-year-old Jewish guy from an Ivy that is yeah. who's still running TV. That the, the diversity in front of the camera has changed, but the diversity in the writers' room is still pitiful. It is pathetic. But it looks like this is where you start to kick battle. But but I mean, Josh Gondelman. I don't talk about him all day, but he left John Oliver, which is you know, one of the best jobs in the business. He obviously, it was a leap of faith, but also I think he understood what he was getting into. He said, I want to do this. So it's like not every day would somebody leave an established shop like John, you know, John Oliver to get in bed with these two guys. But it's like, I'm glad he did because I feel like their material, now if it's a combination of whatever they're writing for these two guys and then what they're coming up with on the spot, it looks to be a great fusion. Because like I said, I was laughing my ass off. And I think the mix is there. You take the chemistry that these guys already have from years and years and years of working each other and then you maybe just put them into a more... 
structured framework that doesn't seem like work. It's just the pleasure of funny material without the grind of killing yourself for a gig, and you get this really wonderful combination. So I, I watched, um, I, I got two episodes because it, it, the problem is it's on, there's no other way to get it other than to do Showtime or to buy, I don't even know if you can buy the episodes off of iTunes, but they were, it wound up being an expensive proposition. So I kind of found the episodes from other venues. He kind of found them. I kind okay, of found them. The guy gave I, the I found them. I just, I bumped into a car window and it accidentally <laughs> smashed. And I found a purse in there. So, so an, an hour of these two, like you said, the Cory Booker episode was one and Issa Rae was yeah. another one. And both, you know, Issa Rae, I love her show. Cory Booker, you know. Yeah. I, but uh, the two episodes were great. I loved every minute of it. And it was just like a sing. It was like an hour long sleigh ride of just, I felt like it was relentless. And that's the most you can say is, please, if you're going to make comedy, don't stop and take a joke for Clapter. Or it's like you just, you're going to make a comedy a comedy. And these guys made a comedy funny. And that's all I want. Yeah. And that's what they did. So they win. Uh, to one point you made about um, uh, I don't know what your point was, but I thought of this is there's a there's a nice kind of ramshackleness to this. You know, one of the things I hear that people like about podcasts that I don't some podcasts I don't like is just the people are just fucking around and it's not polished. It's unstructured. But when they're just kind of riffing Jesus and Mero, you hear they're doing it for it sounds like they're just doing it for the um, the production crew. And you hear people in the production crew occasionally chime in with questions and comments and yeah. they'll have like the subtitles on the screen in case you can't hear it. And I like that. It's just, it's quick and, and it, it, it makes it almost feel like you're just watching these guys fucking around in their basement, but they do it in such a non-obtrusive way that really adds to it. And that's, that's the way you make something seem natural and real. Who's like, the chick with the guns in Avengers? Black Widow? Black Widow? Yeah. yeah, like what's she doing? <laughs> Clap it, motherfucker! No, I'm looking at the event like, yo, your man wiped out half the universe. You coming through with the Glock? <laughs> So, Bill, uh, wh why? I mean, it's kind of amazing that neither of us had heard of this. And then uh, you're right. Yes, it is. It's, it, fucking it's nuts that we haven't. But heard of it. It, this, this, so the Showtime show premiered in February, so it's still pretty new. But even before that, they have a massive online following. It's called the Bodega Hive. Fans of the Bodega Boys and people are really into it. And and uh, I mean, there's a little self-aggrandizing to it, like they called the podcast the arts. So why? Why so much fandom for them? Other than, I, you know, what we agree it's good, but like lots of stuff is good. It's not popular. Well, they are uh, card-carrying lefties. They're agitprop. You know, they have a real activist sense to them. It looks like, I mean, if you're looking politically, you know, they're talking to AOC. They're talking to Cory Booker. So you know where they lay. They're taking, you know, taking a big shit on um Tucker Carlson, which is all, all we want in life is to see people rip that guy down. But beyond that, though, they hold on to the street thing again. And who are we to say what the fuck street is? But they hold. Well, on to I, the I, I, I based, most people don't realize, but in 1979, I invented hip hop at a basement party in the Bronx. That was me. Well, I, I think these guys have the common touch. There's still this idea that they're representing the Bronx, which is true. They are avowed in their weed smoking. Their material is really good. They are really funny. You have whip crack timing and, you know, the great pull of references. Like, I, that, I think, is theirs. The fact that they have this large cultural background of just about everything. I think that we, to some degree, uh, you know, guys who were of our generation who went through the kind of like, you know, college at the time we did and who have the interests we do, we 
have prided ourselves on a similar reach where we have a very Catholic with a with a small C knowledge of, of a little bit of everything so we could kind of zip in and out of topics. Right. Right. And it's like to, to understand that people who are younger than us, I think, have, have increased that. You know, the vanguard of them, they've increased that even more. So they know more things about weird topics. And we just assume that kids are dumb because a lot of them are. And the ones we see in front of us, you know, illustrate a real lack of irony, a real lack of institutional memory and legacy and things like that. But I mean, you're talking about two comedians here. I mean, the reason why we like these guys so much, I think, is because they're espousing our values culturally and doing the sort of comedy work that we got into this business to see. And in your case, you got in the business to actually do and to make. I know why they're popular with me. I can tell I can only reverse engineer. They're popular because they're very good at what they do and they seem to do a very current thing at a high level. I, I agree. I'm with more emphasis on the uh, like striking that balance between seeming authentic and keeping it real, as the youngsters say, uh, having, <laughs> you know, a lot for, for guys like me and the references and the depth. You know, they cover a lot of bases here. I feel like there's a lot to offer a lot of different people here. Again, it's popular because it's good, but that's no guarantee of anything. It's also popular because it's savvy. It recognizes that's what people want. And you got it, the thing of, um, you know, we all, I, I say this a lot. And this is part of the reason why I'm glad I'm doing what I do with trivia games and quizzes is, you know, we got all this nonsense in our head as media has proliferated and exploded. And, and we're looking for ways to use that nonsense to reference it. So something that's reference heavy is uh, is bound to succeed and this covers a broad range it covers it's stuff that people care about it's stuff that's happening i mean my god they could not have had a more perfect guest for the first episode than aoc because yeah. she's relevant at so many different levels but the people who criticize her is like oh she she talks out of her ass and stuff like that i'm like yeah maybe a little but a she's 29 years old maybe she's 30 now and b she represents something that is like the future so even yep. when she's wrong, it's it's less about the specifics and more about what she's about. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I couldn't think of a better guest. She more encapsulates what's good about – no one more encapsulates what's good about the show than she does. The substance but dressed up in the kind of the, – the, the costume or the persona of – future america and this is what yeah. this is this is what the the trumpy traders are angry about because they see the country changing they know they can't you know and they're desperately trying to stop it you know this is why they're afraid of burrito trucks on every corner because it, it's not that they hate burritos it's that what this represents it's like we have a three-headed little monster that goes against everything god told you it's not to do he really said that like yo i fucked and impregnated my cousin Bunk <laughs> that's like that's got it that's an elf that's like, there's no that's, you, that's no, that's beyond an L. Like, there's no way you can spin that. Like, when you lose your Metro card, that's an L. <laughs> this, this is a whole nother level, my guy. Damn, this is like a fucking wow. This is like this is me. I drive past the house like cousin fucker. Noah, would you have liked this product uh, when you were a kid? Uh, yeah, sure. As if with everything, it's hard to say. Not that I'm tuned into hip hop culture now, but even less back then. It was less mainstream back then. It was easier to ignore. So I kind of feel like I'd be more into it because my life would more be subsumed in, in that kind of milieu. Yeah, and I might like it a little more because I'd aspire to be like them. Yeah, there was a part of me when I was younger that thought I would be a late night talk show host. And I, I would have been terrible at that. I was briefly a journalist and I was a terrible interviewer. But I wanted to sort of be that like showman, you know, that guy who like, you care about my opinion. So I would have looked at these guys and thought that would be a pretty sweet job to just sit there with my buddy and shoot the shit and be funny and get people laughing and people care about my opinions on stupid stuff that crosses 
over my desk. So yeah, I would have aspired to be like them. And in that respect, I would have looked up to them. You know, I wouldn't have seen myself as that kind of character because I always viewed myself as being very, 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 very white. But I think I would have admired them in a way different from how I admire them now. So yeah, I think I would have been somewhat more into it as a youngster than I am now. What about you? You know, my favorite program when I was a younger person, I'd say late teens, early 20s, was Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, <laughs> not, not until we started talking about this right now did I kind of realize um, what the things have in common. And it was that really expansive base of things where they, if that show was what you'd call reference-heavy, and I think that's a fair amount. Oh, my God, <laughs> was it reference? I mean, no show was more reference. But it pulled on such a broad base of references, and it was the right one each time. And I just felt right. like it was scratching this itch that I didn't have, you know, I, I couldn't name it. And I think that this show would fit right in with that, where it's like you guys are doing this, this, you know, it's like, you know, you know somebody just grabbing from branch to branch, pulling all these different disparate things wildly and recombining uh, references. But it's like always the right call. It's like, like you said, who, who knew the University of Arizona had a marching band? It's just, they're just small little jokes, but you get them right and i love that that's almost one of my favorite things it feels like a puzzle and you're figuring it out like to, to crack me at you know one little moment of one perfect reference to one observation and that's what i always wanted to do as sort of just a you know a colloquial comedian just with people is to get that kind of thing right to see a show do it at a high level is a lot of fun and again that's what i was into when i was that age you know like i found your larry david stuff later you know when people went to cringe comedy in the 2000s by that point we're already in our early 30s late 20s or something comedy moved on to another thing but this this type of thing is like this is my comfort zone like what these guys were doing in that show where it's almost like free association but without the loose unstructuredness of the riffing but with a little more structure I guess and I kind of miss having something that I just feel uh, such a kinship with so I'd definitely be in into it even more if possible you know it's funny you, you talk about your favorite show when you were younger and when I was in high school uh, I loved David Letterman and what, yeah. what always struck me about Letterman is I, I, I would always have this thought, like, I can't believe this guy's on TV. I mean, I'm still shocked that he played the role he did in the days when there were, you know, four networks, that he was that guy. Because his humor was so bizarre in a time when bizarre humor was much harder to come by than it is now. And felt very ramshackling off the cuff, even though it was kind of studied. But I think that kind of attitude came naturally to him. And the fact that he could just be his kind of off-kilter self... And somehow managed to connect it with not just the, the brainiac nerds in the big cities, but also people in the Midwest. I think it's very impressive. You know, I read an interview with, with Desus, Desus, a.k.a. Vice K. Matsuzaka, a.k.a. the Don Data Ganoush. Yeah, he said how people are like, oh, well, this is it's too New York. It'll never fly with people in Iowa. And he's like, well, you know, people in Iowa like Seinfeld, you know, and that was pretty New York. So... Our culture definitely is moving into a place where, like, you know, everyone likes New York, even if they think they don't. And, you know, everyone kind of understands some elements of this culture they come from, and, and more so as time goes on. So it's, uh, maybe I'm getting off topic here, but, yeah, there's something very, uh, you know, futuristic about it. I don't mean that, like, there's robots beeping and blooping around. I mean, like, this is the way, the direction culture is moving it. Again, getting back to AOC being their ideal guest. <laughs> 
What's the wildest thing you have seen on the subway? I was on the train with um, one of the guys of America's Most Wanted. What? <laughs> I've been on the train with somebody who died before, so that was depressing. Oh. <laughs> What's the wildest train line to you? So I'd say the four train. The four to five, going to the Bronx. The A is still wild, I don't sleep on the A. I think the ferry's worse than the A train. Yeah. You know why? Because you got the tourists. You When you got to get to where you got to get, they looking at the Statue of Liberty. Fuck the Statue of Liberty, because I see the Statue of Liberty every, every day. day. No disrespect to the Statue of Liberty. But, but fuck I, the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, but fuck the Statue of Liberty. You know, this might be an N slash A, but uh, is, the, is the success, is the popularity of Jesus and Mero? Uh, and by the way, have we mentioned Mero is uh, he lives in New Jersey with his Jewish wife and his four kids? No, He's this a family is the man? F- first reference. Yeah, there you go. And Mero, who, by the way, seemed kind of comes off as the slightly dumber guy of the two, uh, but then he whips out a D for, you know, he's more of the, like, the giggling clown kind of big guy, but, like, yeah. then he whips out an obscure reference, and then you read, like, he was studying to be a high school science teacher and all this stuff, so he's not a dummy, even though he plays more of the clown role, yeah. right? Jesus Amaro, is anything, the success of Jesus Amaro, is that in any way a sign of the apocalypse? No, no, it's it's quite the opposite. This is um, a real diagnostic, a real checkup on the health of comedy. The fact that these guys could get plucked for TV, you know, that they keep graduating from AAA to, to, to Major League Ball, that kind of, I'm just, you know, metaphor, metaphor, metaphor. No, they're, they're great. I'm really happy to see them. And it, it's to me that the, the scouts have worked out pulling these guys up and giving them. And I, I hope that the Showtime show is intermediate, too. I hope that there's something bigger that's not sort of in this cable dungeon that, frankly, no one's going to see this. Honestly, no one yeah. owns Showtime. You know, like, their audience would be nuts if it was on HBO. And if you could, like, watch them, if they led in before Game of Thrones, yeah. then they would have an even fucking bigger splash than they have now. And it's like, I guarantee you, no one's seen this show except for middle-aged people who who watch Showtime. You know, the apocalypse is if these guys aren't given the... Uh, if they're choked in their crib and, you know, and, it's, and they don't get the chance to branch out or, the, you know, that these guys can't, in fact, um, curate another branch of comedy and or, you know, like inheritors, another generation. They're not choked in their crib. They have millions of fans. Around. You might say Showtime is nothing, but it's 8,000 times bigger than my TV show. Oh, was. Yeah, so, no, I'm saying they could have been. Showtime in, ain't nothing. Okay. No, in the past, in the past, guys like these would have been, it's like the, the fact that they would have been left in obscurity, true obscurity would have yeah. been a shame, but this is not that. No, I'm saying well, this is Well, it on, shows you how things are changing. I mean, I, I agree with you, except I think it depends how you define apocalypse. They are a potential harbinger of the apocalypse the same way AOC is, is that the terrified white people who can't handle change and can't handle being uncomfortable, they're going to get angry and fight back and yell and scream and yeah. criticize Cory Booker because he appeared on a show with these two guys who use the N-word all the time. And somehow that's disqualifying if Cory Booker becomes a nominee. So it could be apocalypse if they go, you know, this is why they elected the worst person in the country to be president if they fight back enough and it looks like they're trying to so that we do literally have apocalypse which hey is a possibility so they could represent apocalypse in that they, they could force the uh the race war as it were any thoughts on the Mueller report the Mueller report yeah i mean like it's it's gonna be stupid because it's gonna be redacted so it's just gonna be mad black lines with like it's like the clean version connectors yeah like it's like a it's like a clean radio version of migos song nobody want to hear that shit yeah look at this shit what the fuck is this this is like when you have a bad wi-fi connection and the images on twitter don't load (laughs) look at this and you see the joke you're like okay when women be shopping Noah, do you uh, find that jealousy factors into your uh, measure of these fine gentlemen absolutely 
I wish I was as funny as they are. I wish I had the chemistry they are. They have. I wish I got the show business opportunities they have. Uh, I don't doubt they work hard. I'm sure I work just as hard or almost as hard. I probably don't work as smartly, but whatever. I'm not as smart as they are. You know, I had designs of being a talk show host. I never got that far. I had a TV show. Nobody picked that up. We have a podcast. We don't have a high of listening to us. I'm very jealous. And one of the few things that does turn me off about him is reading interviews with him where they talk about how easy interviews are. I said this before. It might be easy for you. It's not easy for everyone. Some of us have to work a little harder. And I actually saw a video clip interview with Jesus. And without Mero there, I actually thought he came off as pretty arrogant. And that bothers me that he just seems a little full of himself. And I realize that's a hallmark of hip-hop culture. You kind of play with that. I wish I could get away with being that kind of egomaniac. But even when people do kiss my ass, and even when I do like do an event and go, wow, I really got this, I'm not comfortable pushing that in a smart way that really improves my brand. You know, when I try to pat myself in the back, it just comes off as sloppy or lazy, or people just think I'm an asshole, or I'm afraid people think I'm an asshole because I have self-esteem issues. But at least they're good. You know, they're not Jimmy Fallon, who's like, you know, I mean, I guess he's got the balls and he certainly got the luck, but he doesn't have the talent. No, uh, no. What about what about you? Jealous? Jealous? No, I'm not jealous. In fact, I mean, in, in talking about their upward track and how old they are, and you know, it's funny because I guess if they're 35 now, I guess they would have been 30 when they sort of broke into TV, which yeah. is a good, a nice ripe age to do it. I mean, if you're 19 or so, that tends to make me discredit you a little bit because it's like, well, you're going to be a flash in the pan. There are very few 19, 20-year-olds who have right. anything to say that is going to resonate with me. I just they, don't give they, a they also don't realize the work it takes. I think when people get famous and they're 19, yes. they think everyone just falls into it. They don't yeah, realize, I, they don't know what it's like to just get door slammed in their face and stuff. Right, like that. right. And it's like yeah. to, to do that at 30, to sort of labor through your 20s and kind of get scouted at, along when you're 30 is a big deal. I think that's like the perfect age to season. And so no, I mean, the short answer is no, I don't feel jealousy about it. But on the other hand, it's like, I think because it looks like they paid their dues, they do their thing better than I could have done it if I was wearing the same shoes and, you know, trying to get somewhere in the business. It looks like it came across very honestly. And that's a big deal. I mean, it's kind of hard to find someone who like unlocks those doors in a legit way where it wasn't, they're not the fucking, you know, someone's nephew or that they just hit the viral lottery. It kind of looks like they did what they did and the spotlight eventually creaked and turned over to them and found out find, found them doing what they did well after they'd been doing it long enough to kind of qualify as like training right. for lack of a better term so I, no, I, f- I feel good about it by the way trivia factoid they are indeed uh, 35 years old they will both turn 36 in like a week and a half Jesus is I'm sorry Mero is three days older than Jesus ah, Mero would turn 36 on May 15th and Jesus will turn 36 on May 18th so Noah, give me a correlative on the Felonian, the James Fallon Felonian scale. Where does yeah. this, where does this the, duo fall for you? These guys are very high above uh, Jimmy Fallon. You said they're your favorite thing we've ever looked at in this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I won't go that far. Uh, I definitely liked both Key and Peele and Black Mirror more. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's something really obvious I'm overlooking that I liked more. I mean, I liked Bo Burnham a lot, but I probably yeah. like these guys more than Bo Burnham. Mm-hmm. It's funny, Bo Burnham. I think is tremendous comedian, but they're so different. And in some ways, Bo, it would be really interesting to like study like, all right, Bo Burnham and Jesus and Mero are both very emblematic of modern comedy, but how they reflect it in different ways and how they reflect it in similar ways. Mm -hmm. They both first got noticed on the internet you know, just doing shit, you know, in their spare time without exactly being someone's nephew. So I'd be really interested. 
I'm not the person to do that, but like an essay or a video essay or something going like, all right, these similarities and the differences between those two comedic acts, you know? I mean, I think there's something to be said there. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's something real obvious I'm overlooking, something I loved, I'm sure. I don't know. Off the top of my head, I'll take Black Mirror and Key and Peele over these guys. Key and Peele are fucking comedy geniuses. Those guys are just... I'm sorry. It, I think I think modern comedy does not get better than those two. What about you? It's at the top of the pie. At the top of the pie. There's, there's certainly nothing better to me. It's just like I said, maybe it was the way it caught me the night I watched it. With Sketch, like Key and Peele is great, but I found that I really loved one out of every five things that they did. I mean, loved. I thought, oh, this is just aces. And that's, that doesn't mean the other things were bad. It just means I thought, oh, they're funny, but I'm not laughing at it. I honestly had a great time with these guys. Never stop laughing. I'm sure if I watched the whole season, what they do over time would, would tend to, you know, soften up a little bit, I'm sure. And I'd see the, the weak spots in it. But it's like I gave them a great hour of my life. And it just felt like this is as great an introduction to a, a, a property that I, I could have. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just stuck in the ecstasy a little bit of, of meeting it. That's why it's... Ten- yeah, that's why it's above the, you know, Key and Peele right now. That's why it's above Black Mirror and, and Death Note, you know? I, I love how we've looked at like a hundred topics over the last two years and your absolute favorite one, you've declared one your favorite and you openly admitted you gave it an hour of your time. Like sure. an hour of all the topics you're looking at, an hour is enough to determine something is your absolute favorite. For the purpose of this show, that's all we're talking about, you know. Dude, what that's do you fine. do all day? What do you spend your time doing? All still the other read, podcasts. Still that I reading do. old GI Joe comic books. Oh, that's that's Pretty a great sad, thing to man. do. That's fantastic. I know we're gonna do. I don't get it. GI Joe comic. All right, everybody. I think that brings us to the end of another uh, yes, rollicking yes, podcast. So all if right. you want to find past episodes of our show, look on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. We love feedback. Write to us at Noah and Bill Don't Get It at gmail.com. Give us a review on iTunes. That's how podcasts get discovered is that people pass on words. Yes, they do. Yes, I'm they on do. Twitter at William Scurry. I'm on YouTube at A.M. Caesar. And uh, something to plug coming up, I have a podcast. I uh, guest starred on my favorite friends from Cardiff, Wales, the Film 89 podcast hosted by Sky Wingfield, a, a true... Uh, ace of a gentleman. We talked about Star Trek The Motion Picture for two hours. So that's coming up in the next uh, week or two. Be on the lookout for that. Uh, and now Noah will tell you a little <laughs> little thing or two about himself. You talked about Star Trek The Motion Picture for two hours. That's yes. never been done on the internet before. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, you can learn more about me at bigquizthing.com. The Big Quiz Thing, uh, America's corp- uh, America's premier providers of corporate and private trivia events nationwide, coast to coast, etc. May is a busy month for us. It wasn't that busy last year. This year, it's pretty damn busy. We got events uh, in uh, at least a dozen states happening soon. Corporate and private, bigquizthing.com. I'm also on Twitter, and uh, I'm on Twitter myself, at Noah Tarno, and Big Quiz Thing's on Twitter, at Big Quiz Thing. Uh, BQT is also on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you. There you go. All right, everybody. All right. So that's it for another episode of I Don't Get It. We'll see you next time when we may or may not understand it. That's our job. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2019.